the scripture, let me ask you please to pray, to pray with me. Father in heaven, um, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is alive. It's like a two-edged sword. It goes into the very recesses of our, of our souls. So Father, I pray as we open, as we read it, that you will cause it um, to burn within us. We'll know that this is really the word of God. And that will work in us all that is pleasing to you. That we may believe this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I want to read... Verses 13 through 35, Luke chapter 24, please. Hear the word of God. That very day, this was the day that Jesus had risen from the dead. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this... It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? Well, he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, 
we've been eavesdropping on the eve of the crucifixion with Jesus and his disciples. That's where we've been in the scripture in John's chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, the last little while. And during that night, you remember, Jesus laid out what life would be like for them, in a sense, after his ascension, when he was no longer with them. He made promises to them about coming to them, he and the Father, about sending the Holy Spirit to them to be with them and to dwell really in them. Uh, He talked to them about uh, what would happen, that he would hear their prayers and answer them. He talked to them about living in him. He promised them that he would come for them, that a place would be made for them with him for all eternity, really. He said he would answer their prayers. He told them that the world would hate them, but they would have peace because he had overcome and would overcome in the days hence. He would overcome the world. And so all of that, was laid out. All that, of course, all those promises, all of that was predicated on his resurrection from the dead. And he did indeed rise from the dead, you see. And in rising from the dead, it was proof that all he had said was true. It was proof that he was the Son of God. That's what the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that it was with power that the Holy Spirit raised him and declared him to be the very Son of God. He himself said that he would lay down his life, but take it back up again. And so, so he did all of that. It was was proof that the Father had accepted his sacrifice for the sins of sinners. And once he had paid, he was free to go. And, and he announced the victory, really, that he had overcome sin and death uh, by way of his resurrection. And then, of course, because he's alive, it means that he's in glory now after ascending. And he, and he intercedes for us, that he protects us. He, he, he enables us, if you will, uh, to persevere. And it's this spirit, this Holy Spirit, that comes and applies the work of Christ to us and gives us new life, even that we may believe and live. He being in glory is the guarantee that we'll be there with him some, someday. His life is the guarantee of our own resurrection. All of that. But, but remember that after Jesus rose from the dead, His disciples were surprised at that. Even though he had said to them that he would rise from the dead, it was difficult for them to have a category in their brain. They didn't have a category in their brain for somebody who would rise from the dead. In their minds, yes, many of the Jews believed in a resurrection. Some, the Sadducees, as we know, didn't believe that there would be a resurrection. But others believed there would be a resurrection at the end at the end of the age, but but nobody was expecting what Jesus had said about himself. And so 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 they were it was difficult for them to believe. So what I want to do in these days, given what we've done in John's gospel, is to kind of walk through how it is that Jesus overcame, if you will, the confusion, the surprise, even the unbelief of his Disciples with an eye, of course, on how he overcomes it uh, in us. I want to begin this with this passage I read, obviously, these men on the road to Emmaus. 
this Sunday, really, in the history of the church, this doesn't affect you, it just affects me, uh, is, is known as St. Thomas Sunday, or Doubting Thomas Sunday, if you want to be more uh, acute. And, uh, uh, but I don't want to start there. We'll go there next week. It's Doubting Thomas Sunday, because this is the Sunday after Easter. It's the Sunday after Easter that Jesus came to Thomas. So I'm a little more prone to be chronological. So I'm going to take up something that happened before then. This event, even on this day of the resurrection of, of Jesus, the story is clear, if not familiar, that these two men, well, we don't know men. We only know one of them, Cleopas. We don't know who the other is. Some think it could be his wife. Makes some sense. Some think it could be others. It really doesn't matter. If it mattered, we'd know. But we don't, so it doesn't really matter in that sense for us to know who the other one was. Disciples of Jesus, no doubt, they, they, they weren't of the 11, but, but, they, but they knew them. They, they had talked about these women that had come back with this report, the other men who, was among them, who were among them who had gone there. When, when they really did realize who Jesus was, as we saw, they, they went back to Jerusalem and they, they knew where to find the 11 and the others who were gathered and they were welcomed by them. So clearly they knew them they were known by them they knew who jesus was and all of this in fact that was the situation so much they knew him that when he died they were sad it says they looked at it was on their face they were downcast as some versions of the scripture has it they, they were confused how else can we describe it? they were hopeless their very hope had evaporated in this very one jesus who then died because they had hoped completely in him they thought that he was the redeemer the christ the messiah and then he had died and, and now they just didn't know anything if there was any hope at all so they left jerusalem and were walking back home to Emmaus, seven mile walk um and and they were talking to each other about all the events that had taken that had taken place. No doubt, these events in the life of Jesus, they began to think, how could this ever happen? I mean, how could he how could he die? I mean, just the week before, what we call Palm Sunday, just that week before, he was hailed as a king, he was hailed as the Savior, he was hailed as the Redeemer. All of all set up for him to come in and overthrow the Romans and set up the kingdom once again. So, so why is it, how is it that he could ever have, have really, really died? How could, that, how could that be? And when they thought through his, his life, his teachings, he, he never really quoted the rabbis, but he got away with saying, but I say to you, he was his own, he was his own authority. And the power that he had, the healings that he did, he, he made the lame to walk, the deaf to hear and talk. He made the blind to see. He raised the dead. He, 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 he was grave of nature. He walked on water. He calmed the sea. He took a little bread and a little bit of fish. And he fed thousands of people. Who does that? No wonder they had high expectations. No wonder they thought that the Christ had come. Because here he was doing all the things that the prophets had said that the Christ would do. He was doing them. Anytime he got in a scrum with the religious leaders, he always came out unscathed. He always bested them. He, he never was, was embarrassed. He, he never was stumped. 
In every situation, no matter what they thought of him, they could never get their hands upon him. The people loved him. And so how is it now that all of a sudden, in this last part of this week that had such great promise, how is it at that moment in time that these same religious leaders who were cowards always before were able to get the courage to arrest him? And why did he go with them? Why did he die? And it's been three days. And nothing's changed. As far as they know, he's still dead. And you can only imagine that. Maybe the hopelessness. I mean, they've put all of their hope. I mean, all of their hope. For everything. In this man, Jesus. And now... Now he was, he was dead. And they were talking about this as they were walking. And they couldn't help but, but allow the feelings they had, the despair, the confusion, the hopelessness, the sadness to show up on their faces. And then a stranger finds them along the road. We don't know exactly where along the road, whether he was behind them and, and they turned around as he called to them or whether he was ahead and he turned around and came to them or whether it was early in their journey or mid or where it was in this whole journey of going from Jerusalem to Emmaus in this two hour or so walk, I suppose. But, but, but this stranger came up to him and, and he said, what are you talking about? And they were just amazed. Because everybody was talking about what they were talking about. And they said, you know, basically, what rock have you been under? He could have said the, the one that was over the tomb, but he didn't really want to say that at that point. But, 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 you know, where have you been the last number of days? Jesus says, what do you mean? So they said, well, well here's what happened. Said, Man, Jesus, we thought him to be the Redeemer. Now he's dead. We, 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 we thought he was prophet like like moses the one to come to deliver the king like david the one who would come and conquer the enemies and 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 he did great miracles had great power uh uh, he always evaded the religious leaders but then they got a hold of him he's been killed it's been three days now there's some women who said they went to the tomb and saw a vision of angels and the angel said he's not here some men went to the tomb and there was nobody but no one's seen him (laughs) it's just Funny little situation, isn't it? The scripture says they couldn't recognize him. Verse 16, their eyes were kept from from recognizing. What kept them? What kept their eyes from seeing that it was really Jesus? They had seen Jesus before. I mean, they they knew, obviously, now this resurrected body was always a shock. Not everybody really got it. But but, but what, what, what kept them from... So was it this, their despair, their hopelessness? Sometimes I think we've experienced situations, we've been in such despair, we've felt this hopelessness, this sadness, that's really difficult for us in any way, shape, or form to see, perceive, to really get to in any real way God. I mean, we, we just wonder, in our despair, can we, really, can we really see Him? Was it because their views of Jesus were essentially, not all, but but wrong-headed. They expected something out of Jesus that he wasn't in their minds at that moment in time providing. Did they expect him to come and be this 
political, military conqueror, king in that sense, to overthrow Rome so that they could then occupy, so then they would... Is that what they expected? And it wasn't that, so they didn't recognize him. Was it Satan? The scripture says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Was it Satan? Was it God? There was something that needed to happen in order for them to really see. So it wasn't time yet, so God. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. It just says they couldn't at that point in time. They were kept, if you will, their eyes from from recognizing him. But we do know what overcame their blindness. See, when Jesus heard what they had to say, he said rather hmm, pointedly, oh, how foolish you are. It's been right in front of your eyes for generations. It's all in the scripture. And then Jesus walked them through them on a historical redemptive tour of the Old Testament. <laughs> historical, it means it went through history. Redemptive in how this plan of redemption was unfolding. And we don't know exactly what he said, but we knew, no, he touched in Moses. We knew, no, he touched in the prophets. Uh, later, he would touch in the Psalms as he would tell them. But, 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 but I suspect, if, if I'm thinking through this, wouldn't he go to Genesis in chapter 3? At least to, to begin there, because he said, what you don't understand is, is that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer before entering his glory. That's always been the case. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer. You, you missed that. You didn't realize that the Christ, he's already pointing to who this Jesus is, that the Christ would need to suffer. It was necessary for him. And it goes all the way back to Genesis, of course, after the sin of Adam and Eve. What's the promise that God makes to them, to us, he says that one's going to come from the seed of the woman. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent, though his heel will be bruised. Now, wouldn't Jesus say the cross was the bruising of the heel of this one who was to come? Wouldn't he go to Abraham? And we said, do you remember the promises made to Abraham? that it was through Abraham that not only this nation would come, but all the nations of the world would be blessed. But wouldn't he go to Moses? And say, of course, Moses was the deliverer out of Egypt. But really, what, what was necessary for that deliverance to really happen? What was necessary for that deliverance to, for, to really happen is that this lamb had to suffer. There had to be a lamb that was first killed so that you wouldn't be. There was this lamb that had to be killed on this Passover night so that your firstborn wouldn't die. So that then you would be intact to be able to leave. You see, there was suffering before deliverance. And it wasn't you that suffered, but this substitute, this lamb that suffered. And then wouldn't he take them to Sinai? And, and there at Sinai, the law would be given. And, and, and God would say, this is what it means to be my people. You need to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And wouldn't that break the hearts of people to go, okay, I'm sunk. 
And then he said, well, here's the provision. Here's how you can live in my presence. Suffering will come. It won't cause you to suffer for your sins. But I'll take it out on these animals, these unblemished ones, these ones that don't deserve to die. No reason to kill them, but they're standing in your stead so that you may live in my presence and I in yours. And justice is done. And forgiveness is given. That's my love to you. Jesus would say, didn't you see, didn't you see that? That suffering of those goats on the Day of Atonement, those animals that would be sin offerings and, and peace offerings and thank offerings. That's it, you see. It was necessary for the Christ who was prefigured or foreshadowed in these animals that suffered. It would be necessary for him, the Christ, to suffer so that you may, so that you may you may live. Wouldn't, wouldn't he take him to Jeremiah in the New Covenant and say that, that, that here's the promise of God. He's going to put his law in your heart. He's going to write it on your minds so that you will know the Lord, so that he will be your God, you, his people. He'll forgive your sins. Wouldn't he take him to the prophet Ezekiel and say, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He's going to put his spirit within you and cause you to walk in his ways. Wouldn't he take them to the prophet Isaiah? And he says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each after his own way. Yet... Upon him, he laid the iniquity of us all. He had to suffer, you see, for the sins of his people so that they would, they would live. Jesus talked to them all the way through, you see, all of that. And I suspect more as they were walking as they were really walking together. And then, he came rather to the end of their journey. He had laid all this out, and of course, everything he had laid out was about himself. And he said, you need to see me, because this is, I'm the one the scripture points to, but still they didn't know it was him. And, and so they reached sort of the end of the line. They were home. And in and, and, and that culture, then what do you do, really? You've met this stranger along the way. It's night. It's dangerous. Uh, not too many other places for him to stay. And, and so culture would say it would not be unreasonable for you to invite this stranger to dinner. It wouldn't be unreasonable for you to invite this stranger to stay, especially since they had built this relationship with him over this point in time. It wouldn't be right for Jesus to say, hey, could I, could I eat with you guys? Could I, could, I, could I come and stay with you tonight? So, so he sort of gave this continuing to walk on and they said to him, hey, come, have dinner with us, stay with us. And what was interesting about that meal is at first, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, this is just to help you, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, you find that a lot happens in Luke around meals, uniquely. It's just, just interesting. But this was another one, a significant meal. And it seemed rather uh, normal, because it would be normal to begin a meal with bread and a blessing. But what was interesting is that Jesus became the host at the meal. Now, it may be just as common as it might be for you and me if we have a 
guest in for dinner that we know, we might ask them to say grace as a, as a nice, maybe that's what they did. Maybe they said, hey, uh, you seem to know a lot about these things, <laughs> so why don't you um, bless the meal? Could be that, could be that he just did it. We don't know. Either way, it's fine, obviously. There's the truth of that he did it, and, and there was something at the moment he broke that bread. They recognized it. Now, it wasn't communion, really. There wasn't any wine. We don't have any of that. And we see there, it wasn't that this is a communion. We don't, they weren't even at that last Passover meal when Jesus did break the bread. They, they may have heard about it. It may have been in their heads. They, they may have been there on the day that he fed 5,000 and then breaking bread. Wow, I remember this. He's the bread of life. Maybe, maybe all that came together. But, but that's not how they described it. How they described that moment in time when he was breaking the bread and they recognized him is they realized then that when he was giving them the scripture, when he was speaking to them the word of God, they finally realized our hearts have been on fire ever since he started to tell us these things. And see, it's the scripture, God at work, by his word and spirit, that overcomes, if you will, our blindness. It enables us to see. Peter puts it like this in First Peter, in chapter one, in verse twenty-two, he says, "Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart." Verse twenty-three. Since that is, you can do all that. Since you have been born again. Not out of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through, by means of, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter is saying, listen, the seed that gave you life, if you will, the seed that opened your eyes, is, it was the living word of God. It's alive, you see. And so this word, attended by the spirit of God, opens blind eye. It's sufficient for that. So he says, since you've been born again, not out of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter's hearers would say, yes, that's true. When I heard that word, whoo, yes, I could see. And that's what happened to them. It was the sufficiency of the word of God, the power of the word of God that overcame their unable to see, their blindness. That's why in, in our church, what guides me often, and I've shared this expression before, is that our ministry rises and falls on the power of God's word, working by his spirit to change people's lives. And if that doesn't work, we're sunk. 
We have no plan B, you see. And the great danger for churches is to come up with a plan B, to say that the word of God isn't sufficient, that what we need uh, uh, are other things, really, because the word of God isn't powerful. Nobody ever say this, but the word of God isn't really, isn't really powerful enough. And so everyone's seeking that one great charismatic leader that will, that will be the ticket, you see. Obviously, that hasn't happened here. <laughs> or the best building. You see, we have a great facility now. But we know this isn't the ticket, you see. Or the best music, great music. But we know that isn't, that isn't the ticket. Slick programs, we have great programs, well organized, well thought out, all of that. That isn't the ticket. All of those flow out of the Word of God. People ask us, what's the bread and butter of the church? It's the Scripture applied, we trust, by the Holy Spirit. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the enemies, the powers and principalities, he says, this is our weapon, that we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, there's a comma there in most Bibles, and that's all right, but don't Don't pay attention to that comma. Keep going. We're to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying, you see. It's God's Word working by His Spirit that changes people's lives. They couldn't see. The lesson for us is that blind eyes are opened by the Word of God. And what they said, how they put it, was when they heard this word of God, their hearts burned. When I read that, I say, oh God, cause my heart to burn when I hear your word. I mean, Psalm 19 tells us that the word of God is sweet like honey. It tells us it makes the foolish wise. It says that it revives the soul. And I say, all right, if this is to be my bread and butter, my eat and my drink, if this is to be it, then, then God caused my heart to burn. Well, what causes hearts to burn when you hear the scripture? I always think that, that, that when the weather is dry, there is always a burning band. Why? Because that which is dry is very flammable. And you see, it's when we realize our hopelessness, when we realize our weakness, when we realize our need, and the Word of God comes on that, poof, it bursts forth, it burns. You see, these people on the road to Emmaus were hopeless. Everything was gone. And then when they heard of this Christ from the scripture, and when they interposed it with the life of Jesus, then their hearts, they said, he really is it. All this is really true. We have hope. And it meant everything in their hearts burned within them because they realized if this isn't true, then I'm sunk. Uh, This is everything to us, you see. And so thus, you see with us, when we realize 
honestly our own sinfulness. And we realize the consequences of it. And we realize that we have no hope. And then we hear that though all we like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way. And we know that. And then we realize, but he has laid upon him the iniquity of us all that he was he was killed really for our transgression but he was raised for our justification when we hear that if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is he then when we know our sin really then that word burns within us and we go oh yes <laughs> that really is that really is that really is it and then when we realize our own dependence, our own utter, utter bankruptcy before God, and then we hear these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we read the newspaper and weep because of the sin that's in the world, and, and when we wonder how will we ever survive the trends how will we ever survive the evil? How will we ever survive the wickedness in the world? And we hear the words, blessed are those who mourn. for They really will be comforted. And, and then when we see that the, the world is huge and we wonder, how will we ever make it? How will we ever overcome? And then we hear, blessed are the meek, for they really will inherit the earth. And, and then we look at our own lives and we see the, 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 the real absence of personal righteousness. And we so desire to walk well with God. And then we hear these words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. There really is hope for somebody like me, isn't there? And then we give and we give and we give and we give. And we wonder, am I just going to be completely spent? And then we hear, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy and mercy from, from God. And then you see, I, I look into the depths of my own heart and I, I realize the struggle that I go through to remain pure in the midst of temptation, in the midst of all this world throws at us. And I wonder, is there any ever end game here? Is there any, any benefit to, to struggling with sin, to try to put it to death, as the apostle says? Is there any real gain here? And then I hear, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then with, with all the hostility around us, with, with so much going on, with, 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 with enmity and hostility and disagreements and difficulties between one friend and another in, in families and all of that, and then I hear this word, blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Yes, I can continue along this line to bring people together and to, to bring my life in harmony with theirs and to, Bring us in the presence of God. 
And then to, to think that here we are living in such a way and loving in such a way that we're desiring to do, to go, do good by people and to help them and to bless them, even speaking the truth of Christ to them, and realize they turn against us. And we wonder, what's the deal? And, and then you hear these words, blessed are those who are persecuted. For great is your reward in heaven. See, when we feel that and hear that word, because there's nothing else, really, that can, that can satisfy. When I wonder, God, why is this life so difficult? Am I really going down the right path? Why is there so much struggle uh, to remain pure, to follow after you? And Jesus says, let me tell you the truth. You want to be one of my disciples? You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, kill all that sin. And follow me. I'm like, oh, yes, okay. Burns with him. And I say, yes, I get it. I understand. Yes, that's really true. That's really the way. That's really the way that. Really the way that it is. And I say, God, is there really any purpose in, in the life that you've called us to? I mean, all these things going on. Is there really, really any purpose to this? And he speaks the word to us. And he says, remember God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And when everything seems to be falling apart and everything seems to be pointless and purposeless, that word burns within and we go, okay, I'll grab a hold of that. It's like, really to me. And on those days when we just go to God and we say, really? Really, God? he speaks this word to us and he said if God is for you who can be against you if he did not spare his own son but he gave himself up for he gave him up for us all will he not also graciously along with him give us every good thing and we say alright I'll live I'll live on I'll live on that his word is sufficient. It burns at us at those moments of when we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the fact that <laughs> there isn't anything other than God that will enable us to survive. I do wonder, I must say, what it was about the blessing. And the breaking of that bread. Whatever it was, in the midst of that, their hearts burned. They realized at the truth that Jesus had spoken. And what they realized, I think, at that point in time was, yes, in fact, this one before them was the risen Christ. And if he was risen, then all this was all this was true and what they realized and what was apparent at that moment is that they they believed they really believed this breaking and blessing of bread is significant to us as well and the question is what do we see and do we then 
believe does this word burn within us. That on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. When you hear that, knowing your own sin, does your heart burn? Same way the scripture says. He took the cup after giving thanks. This too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you hear that, knowing your own sin, does your heart burn within you? Say, yes, that is my only hope. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. As often the apostle says, as we eat of this bread, drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you you hear that, does your heart burn within you? And you say, yes, his death, his suffering, that I may live his glory that I may share in, and he shall come. And when he comes, then it comes, all of it in all of its fullness. Does that burn in your heart? Let's pray. Father in heaven, pray for me, for us, that we really would get it, we really would see it, that we really would believe it. This Jesus is now before us, oh, not physically. Bread and juice is bread and juice. But spiritually present among us. This very one who was crucified for our sakes, raised for our justification, that we may believe. So I pray, God, that you would take this bread, this juice, set it apart in such a way that we would know that we're in the very presence of Jesus. Set it apart in such a way that we would know that he is the one who has given himself for us. Set us apart. Set it apart in such a way that we would believe. And it's belief that we've had, perhaps as we entered this place, will strengthen even as we leave this place. That Jesus is risen. And we know it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This table is not the table of grace. Evangelical Presbyterian Church, it's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who believe, all those who see it, all those who recognize him in the breaking of the bread. All those who know that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, crucified, dead, buried, raised. And you know that's your only hope. No other hope at all. That you know yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. That you receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. To believe that. And that now you desire to live as one 
who follows after him. True for you? Then please come, these two sections down this aisle to my left, these two down the aisle to my right. Uh, Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and say, oh, yes, his word burns within me. Please come. Savior and my God. 
Christ my Savior and my God. Please stand. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end, and we are waiting on you, Jesus, we believe you're all to Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end, and we are waiting on you, Jesus, we believe your Church, let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe your all to us. Son of God sent from heaven hope and mercy at the cross and you are everything you're the promise Jesus you are all to us let the Church, let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe you're all to us. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love. 
when this passing world is over and we will see you face to face and forever we will Jesus, you are all to us. Jesus, you are all to us. Pray with me, Father in heaven. Even now we come to make that profession, declaration, expression of worship and that Jesus really is all to us that what he has done means everything if he hadn't done it then we are to be pitied but he has done it he has lived and died and risen ascended to rule and reign and so in all of that we know that he is sufficient we pray that this word of God that leads us to him, speaks of him, would burn in our hearts knowing, yes, this is, this is all true. And it would bring to us strength. It would bring to us encouragement, courage. It would bring to us peace. It would bring to us joy. It would bring to us wisdom on how we're to live. It would bring to us grace and strength and power, really, that we can that we can live. And so, Father, may the sufficiency of the word of Christ rule in our hearts. And, Father, may then we realize it being sufficient, that we would not only go to it for ourselves, but we would then share it with others, knowing that it isn't only sufficient for us, but also for others. And so, Father, that we would take this word and deliver it to share it to Declare it, and we pray that in all of that, that your spirit would empower and change the lives of others as well. Our children, we pray. Our spouses, we pray. Our friends, we pray. Our neighbors, we pray. Those throughout the nations, we pray. Father, we're grateful that this very word that comes, that saves, comforts as well, and so we. We pray, we give you thanks for Melissa Foster's recovery. We pray for her continued strength and healing. We pray, God, for the, the strength and the healing of others who are ill among us as well, trusting in your word. Father, we pray that you would supply needs financially, materially, spiritually, emotionally, in people's lives. Father, we come. On this day to give you thanks. On this day to ask that you would enable us to continue to walk with you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive this as God's benediction. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. Working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, and this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And together let us sing. Praise God from whom all
blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy 